Hi there, my name is Alex Faust, and you're listening to Conversations at the Edge. Each week, we meet with the top business thought leader to learn what they think we should be prioritizing to build better businesses, positively impact our communities, and scale up. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, depending on what part of the world you are joining us from today. And today, very excited to be joined by Tom Searcy. And if you're not familiar with Tom, he is a nationally recognized author, speaker, and the foremost expert in large account sales and Vistage International. So I'm thrilled to have him join the community today to talk about sales and his book, How to Close a Deal Like Warren Buffett, which I think is a ton of amazing tips for the entrepreneurs and salespeople in our community. So Tom, welcome to Conversations at the Edge. And where are you calling in from today? I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, and it is a, a little bit gray and a little bit cold, but it could be worse. So to start, I, I'm curious how you ended up researching and writing about Warren Buffett. What was it that kind of drove your curiosity to explore into his success? Flash forward to, um, I wrote an article, I think it was for Forbes. It was brief and it was just how to close a deal like Warren Buffett. Um, one of the publishers from McGraw-Hill contract uh, contacted me. And after a long series back and forth, uh, that's where the book uh, came from was they they wanted it and uh, we were able to put it together, which was great. And then I could go back and I could go talk to all these CEOs and and uh, I had kind of carte blanche myself and uh, Henry DeBreeze had carte blanche to talk to all the CEOs that he had uh, worked with or bought their companies and how that process had worked. It was great. For the community that maybe hasn't read your book or watched the online course, can you give us kind of a high level overview? I know there's four key principles that you discover that he follows in his deals. If you can give us an overview of, of what that looks like, that'd be great. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing about Buffett is you know, being a multi-billionaire, et cetera, you kind of have these uh, kind of pictures of these deal cutters from the 80s and 90s and et cetera, where they're out there and they kind of, you know, uh, they cut up companies and they do all the rest of that stuff. Buffett's not that guy. I mean, Buffett's, he winds up just being smart. And uh, you know, before deals came to him, which right now they come to him and then he makes a decision whether he's going to do something with them or not. Uh, he winds up looking for very value specific kinds of businesses that meet very, very specific kinds of parameters. <clears throat> and from that, uh, he closes deals um, in a different way. The ask that you make where you negotiate out and all the rest of that stuff, it's all done in advance and very simply uh, the way that uh, he handles it. So it's, um, it's, very, um, it's very specific. But one of the core things is, is that he does a deal out of every 200 maybe that he takes a look at. Um, it's really hard when you're an entrepreneur to be so careful, if that makes sense, and to be so patient. Uh, but he was patient like that from the very beginning. Um, and, you know, he went through Chicago school and he figured out early on what value investment meant. Um, and so we teach inside of the things that we do that getting customers has an element of that kind of, that kind of filtering out um, because bad customers will suck up all the energy and creativity and all the rest of that stuff out of your company. Uh, and what looks like growth will eventually look like uh, endurance and ugly uh, endurance. And I, I hope that that helped to answer some of your questions. 
principle one, um, consider many, like some, love few. That's kind of like out of the 200, he picked one or two. Uh, and you, you discuss his like intensibility to define what you call his strike zone. And so can you talk a little bit about what makes up uh, a company's strike zone and does each organization kind of have their own definition or what are you seeing there? Anybody who's built out their company and is looking at selling larger sales or larger opportunities out in the marketplace, their strike zone will be unique to their company. There are three components that are in every deal. One of them is urgency. If there isn't a speed to change, more than likely, then wait to some other time in the future. Closing deals over the course of a year. I, I had somebody in a class one time said, I spent 10 years until I finally got that deal. And they're so proud of themselves. I spent, I said, well, then you spent nine and a half years wasting your company's money. I said, I don't know if you'll ever get that, merge, uh, that uh, margin back. He didn't respond to it very well when I said that, but his owner did saying, oh my gosh, we spent all that time. So urgency is one of the criteria that everybody has. Second one is, is what is the scale or scope of what we have right now? Living in the future, it could, you know, let's get in the door and then it could be huge. Four most dangerous words in large count sales. It could be huge. <clears throat> no, it either starts off big and gets bigger or it's not worth going after. Remember Buffett, and this goes back to when we wrote the book, he couldn't look at a deal less than $10 billion because it wouldn't move the needle. Now that number is probably much larger than that, 20, 25, $30 billion. And anything that comes to him that's less than that, he just can't spend any time on. So for you as uh, the person there, it has to have scale. And the third thing, and this comes in a lot of things that we're talking about, you have to deal with just deal makers. That idea that you go in the door and climb your way up the org chart. So any kind of time that you're going to build out a filter that gets yourself in a position to say, should I go after this or should I not? Those three criteria have to be there. Then you can look at, do they have the problem that we solve? Um, do they have the geography that we cover? Is the margin that's available? <clears throat> Do they have the problem that we solve is probably one of the most important criteria uh, that you have. And you think, well, that's, you know, that's probably obvious. It's not because I didn't say, do they have the widget that you buy? All right. Because then you're in a horse race on an Excel spreadsheet that says my stuff versus their stuff. And whoever at the end of the, you know, winds up incrementally being better. I'm saying, do they have a problem, a bigger problem that you solve that's unique and that's where the big deals come from. They don't come from huge contracts for widgets. Um, they they come from that other uh, that that other piece, that other side of things, which is really the problem side. So those are the kinds of criteria. Uh, and uh, I, there are lots of things that we've written about it over time. But that idea of getting to a very tight target filter, he he only looks at about ten things when he's making a deal, and if it doesn't come into that. You know, he just walks away. Um, I love that quote or that statement he makes. He said, you know, it's the old country song. If the phone's not ringing, you'll know it's me, um, which is I'm not interested in what you have to sell or to say. So mm, I'm not talking to you. You know, I think a lot of sales programs and, and in books, we get very intrigued by these like qualification questions to kind of figure out what is the pain uh, but I find it really interesting the way you talk about like only deal with the deal makers and spending more time on how we might actually disqualify prospects out of, you know, our zone or our strike zone. So 
did I did I understand that correctly? And yeah, I mean, <clears throat> see, the thing that you're talking about is that idea of disqualifying. I think there's two pieces. One is a hunting strategy, and one is a selling or marketing strategy. Marketing and selling comes because people are coming to you or you're participating in conversation. Selling strategy means I'm going out and I'm hunting a company who I believe has the problem that we have. And if they don't, then we walk away, then we drop them into a sales process and we go after the smaller opportunities or we right go in and hunt and, and do so. So the disqualification process, absolutely one of the, rich, uh, the richer parts of the overall work that you do. You got to have courage to do that, right? Um, but transfer, transformational business comes from that whole idea that, uh, that there are a few deals inside of that sweet spot, right? Inside of the program that you offer at everybody uh, in uh, Growth Institute is that, yeah, it, there is, you know, that particular space, which is perfect. And if we were talking to any of the folks here, we talk about that as well. I mean, you know, and if we get a chance to questions, honestly, you can figure that out. You can figure out what your sweet spot is, but it can't be your desire spot. Your desire spot says, I want all of it. You know, your sweet spot is actually in a very small, identifiable place. I think that's a perfect segue uh, into number three, knowing the numbers, especially their numbers. I'm actually in the middle of reading uh, Northwestern University professor Victoria Medvek's new book on negotiations. Mm -hmm. And she really drives home this point as well, that in order to like differentiate in the negotiation have the advantage you really need to know who you're talking to and know the problems that they're facing um but i think like the hardest thing for small businesses mid-sized companies is where do we actually find the information so we can come prepared to those conversations we're not dealing with massive global uh public companies we might be dealing with smaller organizations so where do we find the numbers how do we get to know our prospects as well as or better than they know themselves? See, that's such a great question. Okay, so first of all, I get into the world of what I call dirty math. And I don't mean dirty like as in wrong, but I'm just talking about um, simple math. And so when I talk to a customer uh, or a prospect, I say, let's just do a little bit of simple math. And I'm not trying to get you know behind your financials, but if we look at your cost of goods sold right now, that's gonna come in a range of about here. Now I can do industry information, understand cost of goods sold comes in about here. And I'm going to say, yeah, plus or minus. Your GNA is going to probably be about this, right? Okay, GNA fits into that. Now, you got a fixed asset base. How would you look at that compared to your competitors out in the marketplace? Would you say that you've got a lot tied up in that, a little tied up in average of what's tied up in there? Okay. If we get to the margin side of your business of that, all right, tell me. What are the one, two, or three things that actually drive margin? Just by topic. I'm not looking for your number. I'm just, what are the one, two, or three? Because uh, most people, even the, the folks that are in this session right now, know what are the one, two, or three things that drive margin. Now, I just did simple math. I've got a general idea about an industry. I've got a general idea about they can they can go ahead and push back at any particular point in time. But I don't care what the industry is. I can I've walked into law firms. I've walked into high uh, tech firms. I've walked into construction firms, manufacturing firms. I have a general understanding of what that's going to be, and then I just do the math with them. 
inside of that, that's when I find myself in this really rich conversation. Because if I'm at least close in there and I ask the question, are you carrying more, less, or same debt? More, less, or same asset base? More, less, or same cost of goods sold? <clears throat> they start to roll that out because they're not threatened and say, and then I get to ask the wonderful questions. Like out of those three things that you just talked about, what button could we push hardest on to improve your margin? It's a fantastic question, right? Now, how did I get there? I didn't go in and ask what their pain is. I just did the simple math with them and understood that I was talking to a deal maker. And if I've got a non-deal maker, they don't know. And you're really talking about things that, you know, are keeping them up at night. They're, they're real pains. You're getting to that. Cause they should be, they should be focusing on the three things that drive into what's going to be their margin area. And there's probably three things that are there. Maybe it's cost of goods sold, but Maybe that's not the issue, cost of labor, cost of this, cost of, they may be problems I solve, but problems I don't. I'd like to know. I'd yeah. like to know what they're thinking about. So I don't know if there's any uh, final tips you'd like to leave the community with today. I think that when you look at the idea of a simple deal out there, it, the reason it's simple is because you made it simple for somebody else, which is, look, as I get it, this is what you need. And because customers and prospects and et cetera, they need to be told. We used to say, hey, what's your pain? What's your problem? What keeps you up at night? And, they, and then you'd ask them and they'd sit down and talk to you. They don't have time. For that they expect you to show up and say, here's what you're paying. Here's what your problem. Here's what your issues are. Because that's what's facing you and the marketplace and companies that are like you. And you need them to validate, yes, that's what it is. And then your answer is, okay, fine. I'm the expert. I've come here to help you solve that particular problem. Say it, don't ask it. Thanks for listening to Conversations at the Edge. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it with a friend or a teammate who you think would benefit from what we covered. In addition, you can find us on LinkedIn to get all of the updates. Or if you'd like to hear the full conversation, just visit growthinstitute.com forward slash the edge to learn how you can become a member as well. Thanks again and see you next time.